Hey, did you know that Abe Lincoln had a uh, liquor license? You did know that. You did. Fine, all right. Yeah, he had a liquor license. It was for New Salem, Illinois. Yeah. And he was entitled, with his liquor license, he was entitled to sell drinks at the posted prices. And it cost him six dollars. There's no record as to whether he ever sold any booze. Although I understand he enjoyed a nip now and again. Hey, uh, before we get underway here, Boca Raton, Florida. It says, uh, why did Darren Holbrook drop his pants and expose his bare behind to 2,000 persons at the Boca Raton High School graduation ceremonies? Please. Once again, man and his majestic attempts to reach for the unreachable to state the unstatable, has scaled a new height. And so, tonight, we salute Darren Holbrook of Boca Raton, Florida. Thank you, thank you. That was very good, very good. You're playing that thing good there tonight. That was real good. Uh, anyway, here's what it says. Darren Holbrook, this is an inspiration to all of you graduates out there who probably already have missed your opportunities since you just graduated and you sat there like a lump with that thing on your head with a tassel hanging down and didn't do nothing, right? That's right, just sat and sweated. Well, that's uh, forever now. Darren Darren Holbrook is going to have stories to tell, I'll tell you. <laughs> I mean, guys won't believe him. You know, 40 years from now, he's sitting in a bar, and he's going to talk about his high school graduation, and somebody at the other end of the bar is going to say, listen, that old fool down there, Guy that's it, that, that old one down there with the runny nose. He's always talking about he had his. He was a great man once. <laughs> anyway, uh, Darren uh, Holbrook. We would like to quote Mr. Holbrook, uh, in case you don't know what he did, uh, the enormity of his his act. He says it wasn't for kicks. Remember, he's from uh, Boca Raton, Florida. If you don't know where Boca Raton is, Boca Raton is right outside of Palm Beach. Quite, quite an elegant community, as a matter of fact. Boca Raton is, in a sense, the uh, East Hampton of uh, the East Coast of Florida. Wouldn't you say, Mac? Boca Raton, very elegant. He said, there wasn't for kicks, the 17-year-old said yesterday. I planned it. After several things happened, uh, he said it wasn't meant for anyone in particular, and we quote here, it's just for everybody. The incident occurred Friday as school board member... William Corbin was handing a diploma to the youth on the stage on the Bible Town Auditorium. Holbrook took his diploma and stuck it between his teeth. Now he put it in his mouth, see? Hiked up his black graduation gown, dropped his pants, and leaned over for his bare behind was clearly pointed at the 2,000 stunned faces of the auditorium's congregation. It was theatrically done well, too. We'd like to give the production of the Week Award to Darren Holbrook. I like that idea of putting the diploma between your teeth. You know, there's a little element there of carbon. Very nice, Darren. That's very good. Assistant Principal Lawrence Pertone, who had been reading off the names of the graduates, stopped suddenly at the sight of Darren's bare behind. 
Dr. Corbin's mouth dropped open. <laughs> it was unbelievable, said Principal Gerald Daniels. I, I just couldn't believe it. Yes, under the revolving, whirling suns of time, under the vast swirl of our now hierarchy, under the great, great splash of the eternal cosmos, there are many things one cannot believe. Dr. Gerald Daniels, principal of the school there. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Charles Godwin, director of secondary education for county schools, was sitting nearby. That was one shocked audience. So he said, he didn't say whether he was shocked. He says, one shocked audience. <laughs> Everybody was stunned when he did it, said Boca Raton policeman Ron Bond, who was in the audience. They sat quiet for a moment and looked at Darren's behind. And then they started booing. That's sad. I imagine there were a couple of elegant uh, drum majorettes they would have preferred to have seen do it. Poor Darren. Well, we've had kids yell after they got their diploma, and we've had some black kids raise their fists in a black power salute, but this was something else, said Godwin. Young Holbrook said yesterday he is not yet ready to discuss the incident, but said he now regrets it, quote, in some ways. He did not elucidate. He was arrested Sunday for indecent exposure, disorderly conduct, and disrupting a school assembly. He was released on $500 bond. We, uh, <clears throat> Rack, we have no uh, explanation for this. <clears throat> cap, cap, the principal said. Uh, we can give none. <clears throat> Bork. Uh, you can't deal with an irrational action in an irrational way. <clears throat> Brump. Well, I understand, Darren. I mean, uh, it doesn't sound so irrational to me. It's probably the only moment that he'll have in life. Daniel said Holbrook was a good student and it received the John Philip Sousa Award as the school's outstanding musician. He plays the tuba. <laughs> I really understand. Class salutatorian, Paula Baxter. Class salutatorian, Paula Baxter. There's a check that's going to be hard to handle in later years. Said she attended a speech class with Holbrook and said, quote, he's a pretty interesting guy. However, she said, the incident was, well, really a kind of blight on the whole class. I was upset about it, and so were many others some more than others. The uh, principal later said, this has been a great year, a great year. Man, it's been great, all year. Well, that's the way it is. Some years just don't make it. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> well, now, now I, I don't know. Do you, do, you remember, do you remember your high school graduation at all, Jerry, really? How about you, Mac? Well, I'll tell you about my high school graduation. Uh, everybody, this is one thing that practically everybody goes through. You know, we have this in common, let's face it. And uh, the following discussion has nothing to do with nostalgia. It has, hap it has to do with uh, ritual moments in one's life. Now, all of lives, everybody's life, has this moment of ritual. I mean, you just can't help it. Rituals involved. In fact, it often happens before you can do anything about it. I, I, you know, I know the guys that were baptized, and that's a ritual. The next thing you know, you know, they're throwing them in the river or something. You know how they all that stuff of baptism. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the next thing, uh, another great ritual that everybody has in his life is the first day you go to school. The absolute first day. And I recall my first day in school vividly. You see, the thing about rituals. Uh, is that 
They're designed to make you remember it. Now, most days that you live in your life, you can't remember, you know. Uh, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought of all the thousands of days you have lived? And uh, if you were to replay one at random, if somehow it was on a tape, see, and uh, <laughs> you were to start it up on a machine, you sit there in front, you watch the machine. Let's say some day that just happened to you at random. Let's say, uh, let's say, for example, 12 years ago, just a day. A, a Thursday, like any other Thursday, you know. And, and uh, you, you somehow had access to a tape of it, and you could replay it. Would you remember it? Would you actually remember then? You'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I had, oh, yeah, I'm going to order a brownie now. You know, you see yourself in the chocolate nuts. I'm going to order a brownie. Let's say I had a hot dog that day, and, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I had black coffee, yeah. No, no, I don't think you'd remember it. So most of man's days lie fallow on the great field of memory. They just come and go like autumn leaves, unremembered, Unwept, unsung. <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? It's real good. That's just the kind of stuff that Hugh Downs never says. He just doesn't talk like that. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Another great man of our time. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this is the way. This is the way uh, your life is, you know. And so the reason that man, I suspect, created the whole idea of rituals. You know, this this uh, every every tribe has rituals. You you can go. Um, in fact, some tribes have nothing but rituals. They've given up living. They just sit around and burn candles and wave and yell and pass their hands in the air and talk in Latin and all that. So they've given up living. You see, they have rituals because they found that rituals are more exciting than life in many cases. In fact, I suspect that today's ritual, I, uh, you know, I, rituals can take many forms. For one, ritual can take the form of, of squatting down in front of the television set every night and watching Dick Cavett. That's a ritual. And it's, it's uh, like all rituals, it's soothing to the person who's involved in it, even if he doesn't understand the language, he doesn't care what they're talking about. The fact is that it's there, and it's something to cling to. And you're part of a vast mob who are watching this same thing. That's, by the way, that's important to rituals. Private rituals never make it. It's public rituals when everybody's getting... Now, I had, had old Daniel Heron there, Darren Holbrook, rather, had old Darren Holbrook dropped his jeans... In private, nothing. I mean, who, who would you know? Would he have made the wire services? Forget it. He did it in front of two thousand people at a moment of high ritual. Everybody sitting there with a mortar board on his head. That's one of these little flat things on the top of your head, you know. And uh, and so rituals, incidentally, rituals. I must point out, as you know, rituals. I mean, we're all part of it. Rituals often involve a special uniform. A ritual is no good unless you put on something that doesn't have anything to do with your real life. And so you go to a, you go to a prom. What do you do? You go out and you rent, a, you rent this uh, formal. And, you know, and it, uh, you can smell old ketchup on it, and you can feel the thing sticking you under the shoulder blades with the hair, horse hair is coming out. But it's important. If you, if you wore the same suit that you bought down to Robert Hall two years ago, you know, your, your neo-Victorian Edwardian Tony Martin model, uh, it wouldn't have made the same impact on you. Just another date, you see. But the fact is that you got a rented tuxedo or a rented formal, man, that's a ritual. When you went, to, the first day you went to school, you see, you had to wear, you had to wear a special clothes. In fact, the, the ritual of going to school when you're a little kid, the first day, uh, you know, <laughs> mothers always dress their kids all up, you know. So it's a ritual. You go visit somebody, you dress up. It's supposed to be a ritual. 
Well, I remember my graduation, friends. It was a ritual, and everybody remembers his graduation, and that's the point of rituals. If they didn't have that ritual, you wouldn't remember it. I mean, if they just handed you the paper and said, forget it, you know. I mean, uh, some rituals are so fantastically gothic. I mean, give me a little, hey, hey, Mac, watch me, friend, Mac, over there. Give me a little of that ritual gothic music. Not the, no, no, the, the, the heavy one, the big one, right? Let's salute. Friends, there's nothing more ritualistic in our time than the station break. You've heard the, the vast arguments that went on recently as to whether or not NBC was going to drop that bird it's got, you know, with the tail that comes out. Uh, you've seen that thing, the, the, the peacock. Oh, there was more arguments over that as to whether they were going to get rid of their whole program schedule. And I want to tell you, we have an entire department here at this radio station that does nothing but think day and night about our station breaks. Very important. So you're listening to the truly concerned station. You're listening to the one that worries about you, friend. <laughs> George. Yes, sir. And uh, this station, standing like a gothic edifice amid the rubble of 20th century life, would like to point out the fact that it is, it is one of the more magnificent creations of man's mind. Radio stations, like most other things, exist only in the mind. I mean, uh, it's a lot of hardware. But it's the... It's the, the subtle elegance of what emanates from that hardware that delineates this station from all the rest of the rabble on either side of us. Night and day, cranking out their cheap jack records. As night and day, we create this cheap jack... I mean, night and day, we bring you this magnificent sound. It is WOR, New York, standing like a bulwark, a buoy in the vast swirling maelstrom of imminent disaster. <laughs> hey, George. Yes, it's the John Gambling Station. Oh, there, bring a hold of it. That's enough. That's very good. That's a pretty good station break, you'll agree. Well, I, I, I uh, no, I, I must say that I, uh, I, I recognize. Hey, we have a, we have a ding dong in there? Okay, hey, and by the way, hey, hey, I got an important announcement. Hey, listen, everybody, important announcement. You know, it's been, it's been, uh, pundits. And I like pundits. I'll tell you how I like a pundit. I like a pundit with with half and half on it, you know, cream, with just a little green, little brown sugar is kind of good. Uh, pundits, especially in the spring when they're fresh. But I'm <laughs> sorry, honey. But that, oop, I dropped it again. There it goes. But that um, yeah, was the key to John Wingate's washroom. There it goes. Well, anyway, uh, the 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 pundits of our time uh, <laughs> have have noticed something. At long last, something we've been talking about for years on this on this little show, and it is this, namely, that uh, the kids relate more to commercials than they do to anything else. You see, the, the earlier generations were skeptical about commercials. Earlier generations really were. I think this is one of the great areas that separate the generations. That earlier generations believed that commercials were an intrusion on their life. And uh, they, they resented it, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, uh, how many people... Uh, went out in the early days of television, and they bought these little buttons. You know these buttons? You remember the buttons they had that you could cut out the sound on commercials, on TV sets? They, they had these in the beginning. Why, no one would even dare to do that today because the best stuff is on the commercials. I mean, cut that out. What do you got left? <laughs> what do you got left? Well, let's see. You got uh, Ed McMahon, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty, 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 pretty dark wasteland out there. And those commercials are all right. So the kids today relate to commercials more than anything else. You know that. They do. It's a fact. 
I have been given the opportunity to appear <laughs> voiceover. I'm going to do the commercial on Sesame Street for the letter B. That's true. I'm, I'm not kidding. I don't know what date it's going to be, but I, this is a kind of knighthood, you know. I kind of like that. And I'm going to do the, the commercial for the letter B. And so for those of you out there that are feeling a little nervous and a little itchy right now and who need a little solace, a uh, little ritualistic uh, uh, appeasement of, uh, the, you know, the, the malaise that is affecting all of us, here's a commercial to chew on a bit. <laughs> Yeah, boy, that's the sound. <laughs> Excuse me, that's the sound of Barnesville, Pennsylvania. Listen to them people yelling and hollering. That's disgusting. Oh, that's sickening. That's the sound of Oktoberfest in July, the Bavarian Summer Festival. It's on now. Don't miss it. It's unbelievable. It continues through July 11th. And you can get that big slices of Gemutlichkeit there. It's nice with a little Bavarian cream on it. With huge festival hall, horse-drawn beer wagons, bratwurst, sauerbraten, wiener schnitzel, little craftsmen flying their trades, making the kugel clocks, rides for young and old. And you can sit there and just drink that beer and watch them chicken. Oh, I'll tell you, let's uh, come on, let's try to close it. Yes, the tree-shaded Bavarian festival grounds at Barnesville, Pennsylvania, just south of Hazleton, on Route 54. Admission, $1. Children under 12 free. And by the way, if you live in Manhattan, you can call BR9-1000 for a tour reservation. They take you on these casser tours, load you on a bus, and the next thing you know, there you are, screaming and yelling and knocking down a beer and falling off your chair. That's BR9-1000. Bavarian Summer Festival, Barnesville, Pennsylvania, just south of Hazleton on Route 54. It continues through July 11th. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hit the hit the right. Oh, it kind of makes you feel good. It's, it's our song. Come on over. Yeah. Shows and dancing, Shows and dancing are free. Shows the parking. So, gee. Come on. Come on over. Palisades from coast to coast, where a time buys the most. Palisades amusement park, swings all day and after dark. Bum, 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 bum. Ride the coasters, get cool in the waves and the pool. You'll have fun. So come on over. Yeah, swim in the world's largest outdoor saltwater pool at Palisades Amusement Park. So come on over, gang. Amusement Park, Palisades. That's the only song I know. No, I, I began to realize that the commercial was more important in people's lives than, than... Well, when I was a kid, I recognized this. I remember commercials from when I was a kid. I don't remember anything else. You know, I'm amazed that all these guys, you know, they keep talking about nostalgia and old radio shows and all stuff. I, I don't think anybody remembers old radio shows. I think they remember the names of old radio shows. I don't think they remember them. But uh, who, who could forget real commercials? Like uh, just the other day I heard a lady say, give me Mission Bell wine because Mission Bell's fine. Just the other day I heard a lady say, <laughs> oh, now that's, that's folklore of our time. Another one, uh, Pepsi-Cola hits the spot, right? You know the rest of it? What kind of an American are you? Come on up, Pepsi-Cola hits the spot. How about that? 
Pepsi-Cola. Come on, nickel, 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 nickel. You remember that? Twice as much for a nickel, too. Pepsi-Cola is the drink for you. All right. Who can forget the Chiquita Banana song? Chiquita Banana. You know that one. Now, what do you do with bananas? You're not supposed to do what? What? Everybody remembers that. Don't put them in a the refrigerator, right? Well, uh, <laughs> I can remember commercials. How many? Uh, Let's see the USA in your Chevrolet. I can't remember my school song, friends. I can't. In fact, I couldn't remember it while I was there. I used to fake it. We used to sing. All right, you want to hear what our song was? Here was the tune. All I can remember is Hammond will pray for you. Hammond will pray for you. Yeah, didn't work. All that supplication. But nevertheless, I do feel that the that the the ritualistic moments of our lives are generally commercial moments. Uh, the commercial is important to our time, and, and uh, let's face it, the moment a guy gets the key to his first new car, who can forget that moment? You remember that moment? Come on. You don't. Man, you are sick. I should have myself examined if I didn't remember that moment. But I'll tell you this, though. I'll tell you, about my graduation, I have to admit that, that Darren Holbrook really pulled it off good there. Uh, I, I, we had, we, our graduation was held in this gigantic, uh, civic center, right in the middle of town. So you did, they didn't hold it at the school because the class was too big. We had, we had something like, uh, 650 kids in the class and a tremendous class. And of course, every kid had mothers, aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins, the whole bit. So it, it involved a lot of people, 600 and some odd 50 kids graduating and all the rest of the people in the crowd. Well, they held it in this big civic center. It was almost like Madison Square Garden. And uh, maybe two or three days before the actual event was to occur, which happened like, good morning, how are you, Steve? We're, we're, uh, we're tonight, and, uh, to bring you up to date on tonight's show, if you've been asleep for the past 25 minutes, and I know that a lot of you have been, radio will do that to you, friends. Great soporific. I would like to uh, bring you up to date. We're saluting a young man named Darren Holbrook, who in Boca Raton, Florida, when he was graduating last Friday, when they were handing out the diplomas up on the stage there, they handed him the diploma. He took it, stuck it in his teeth. And then he turned around, hoisted up his graduation gown, dropped his pants, and, and, uh, and showed to the world and sundry a magnificent display of his rosy bottom to the entire assembled group of 2,000 people in an auditorium ironically called Bible Town Auditorium in, uh, <laughs> in, uh, in Boca Raton, Florida. We're saluting that young man, and I, and I'm, uh, I, because, because you see, that's probably the high point of his life. I don't like to put uh, Darren down, but, but uh, it, is, it is my experience that guys that have that early flash in the pan generally go nowhere. Do you agree that uh, at 17 he made his statement, and by the time he's 22, he will be a sniveling-nosed has-been, hanging around, you know, hanging around this drugstore down in Boca Raton, trying to grasp at straws of his past greatness. 
And uh, right now, they're pointing him out on the street. There goes Darren Holbrook. You know, man, he really said it for all of us. Well, Darren, you said it too soon. I would have suggested, Darren, that you had waited to the moment of your, your induction, quite possibly the moment that you took the oath of office to the presidency of the United States. See, you, you, you shot your what? If you do it the second time, it's just nothing. You can't, you can't repeat a gag like that. And I think to do it at your high school graduation was not nearly as exciting as you'd done it, say, when you were graduating from the seminary. Uh, <laughs> or possibly even further than that. Go even further than that. I could just see the moment, you know, when a guy's about to get married. That would have been an exciting moment. Uh, but the, the high school graduation is a nice try, Darren. Although I suspect that uh, you're going to regret having shot your wad so soon in life. Oh, yes. Hey, wouldn't that be a fantastic moment when a president about, you know, eight years from now is taking the oath of office, uh, the inauguration ceremonies, and everybody's standing around with a high silk hat, and uh, <laughs> at television that Walter Cronkite is, is giving offstage comments. Walter Cronkite, I think, fulfills in our time. Are you curious, since we're talking about the rituals tonight, I think Walter Cronkite fulfills the function of the chorus, the Greek chorus in Greek, in, in Greek dramas. Now, uh, no, I mean it. Uh, I, 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 don't, I, I suspect that eventually that somebody's going to now hear that and get a great idea and they're going to write it up for the Times. But uh, nevertheless, Walter Cronkite and his ilk are the Greek chorus. And, and no civilization ever makes it without a chorus of woe. Uh, the Cassandra role is an important role, and uh, because everybody ha everybody has a Cassandra inside of them. Now, what is a Cassandra? Well, no, 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 no. Cassandra, somebody, but no, no. I'm sorry. Cassandra is not an electronic motor-driven hibachi. Although, the <laughs> All right, Jerry, that's not a bad idea, is it? But uh, a Cassandra, <laughs> a Cassandra, a Cassandra is is a, is a well. To put it in the words of the of the uh, average denizen of Route 3, a wet blanket. Uh, Cassandra, Cassandra's the one that always sits around at every party and says, oh, there's no good going to come of this. And you're yelling and hollering and swinging from the chandeliers, you know, drinking wild strawberry Yoo-Hoo laced with a Hires root beer, you know, because you're on a big tooth this night. And uh, Cassandra's always sitting around saying, oh, no good is coming of this. Well, the Cassandra is part of our, our makeup. There's one side of us, one little tiny side. No matter how much of a uh, Kiwanian the guy is, no matter how much of a Rotarian he is, there's one little side at 3 o'clock in the morning. Usually it comes to surface in the, the subliminal Cassandra. 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, the Rotarian, the head of the uh, program committee for the Rotary Club, they just booked Barry Faba to come and talk. He's all excited. At the, you know, it's going to be the biggest night in uh, <laughs> East Passaic, New Jersey. And he's laying there, you know, the big used car dealer. He's got the town by the you-know-whats. And he's laying there, and he wakes up at 3 in the morning, and there's a little voice says, What does it say? That's the worst part of it. What it says is generally enigmatic. It does not come out and simply say, You're a fathead, Ralph Kluverman. It does not say that. All it does is occasionally sniff a bit, and from time to time it weeps quietly behind the radiator. That's the worst kind of a voice. Now, that's, <laughs> that's the Cassandra in all of us. Well, I'm sitting in the middle of this 
auditorium, you know. I'm about to graduate. We've had this uh, rehearsal. Now, the rehearsal, uh, you, you've all gone through graduation. Rehearsal, they brought us down to the auditorium, and they showed us we were marching in in two great columns coming in from the, the, the two side doors of the auditorium. And we came in, we made a great big square, and then we marched up the aisle and made a big loop again, and then as we got to the end there, the, uh, the, this uh, pastor, the reverend, got up and he gave us a benediction. And at that point, we were allowed then to sit in our folding camp chair to receive our sheepskin, which uh, was to denote that we had made it all the way through this uh, institute of uh, higher learning. Well, not exactly. I mean, you can't call him an institute of higher learning. But the, we'd made the four-year scene. So uh, uh, during the, during the, uh, the uh, rehearsal, everything went great. They, we came in there, and, and uh, they had a lady on the piano sitting in the corner, and she's playing Pomp and Circumstance. Now, you know how that goes, don't you? Pom, 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 pom. No, it's not on that record. Pom, 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 Well, she was playing it so slow that it was almost impossible to keep in step. She was going, Little did we realize that she was playing it in dirge tempo. It was not a march the way she played it. It was more of a dirge, which was a good, really, you see, it was a valid comment on our class. And so she's playing, so we're dragging in there, and we're, our guys are hitting each other, you know, digging each other in the elbows. <laughs> and and uh, there was a lady, one of the teachers, whom I did not know, a tall, skinny lady, and uh, she was in charge of the graduation ceremonies. And uh, she's up on the stage there, and she says, Now at this point, boys and girls, there will be a benediction. And uh, when the uh, reverend finishes, uh, at the point of the benediction, when the reverend finishes, turns and sits down, you will hear a cue. Uh, Mrs., uh, I believe it's Mrs. Gooberman, will say, Amen. At that point, you turn, pivot to your right. If you're on the right side of the auditorium, pivot to your left. If you're on the other side of the auditorium, move in quick step into the seats and seat yourself and remove your mortar boards at that point. Well, so we, we, uh, we went through the scene. It was kind of good, you know, in, in rehearsal. Well... The big day came up. Now, we, we, uh, we had to rent those, uh, those gowns. One of the great disappointments of my life came at uh, midway in my junior year when I discovered that the gowns did not belong to you. You, you, you rented them. I kind of thought it was kind of groovy to have one of those around the house, you know, in case, uh, well, you know, you like to have people know occasionally about your academic uh, background and, and uh, people come visiting you and you're sitting there in the corner by your, you know, sitting over there by the end table, and you're wearing your cap and gown with the big tassel hanging down. And uh, they, they, we, the class voted. They had a vote as to what color the gown should be. Now, we had a choice. Uh, the, uh, the choice was uh, black, and uh, they had a gray, a pearl gray, and they had uh, dark navy blue with yellow tassels. Well, everybody I knew, everybody, the whole class voted for Dark navy blue with yellow tassels. That's kind of jazzy, and that's kind of groovy. So it was announced that the class had voted for pearl gray. Well, of course, the, word, the rumor got out immediately that the reason that there was pearl gray was because that was our principal's favorite color. In fact, all he ever wore was gray suits. I mean, remember, he, they, he suits, they, they looked like carborundum. Uh, <laughs> you know, they had this gray. So anyway, we're going to have pearl gray now. 
And uh, two days before the graduation, in fact, it was the afternoon of the rehearsal, uh, they were issued to us, our cap and gown. And that was a great moment. You know, they, they, you remember it? It comes in a big brown box. Remember that? There, the whole thing. And, uh, <laughs> bye, George. And uh, this, this uh, had a little cellophane tape on it. See, my, my, all the boxes were sealed. They didn't just thrown them out at you. And after all, this is a sacred moment. You're getting your guns, your gowns of the academy. So uh, I, I took my my uh, gown home, and I didn't even open it up. See, I was all excited. I'd take it home. So I'm going to open it up at home. So I opened it up, and my mother looks at it, and it was a sickening color. I'll tell you, they, they, it was described in the brochure from the company that rented these things as a, as a, as a shimmering pearl gray, the uh, same pearl gray that was used uh, to confer uh, uh, some of the more esoteric degrees at Cambridge. And, uh, you know, it was a beautiful... Well, actually, what it looked like, it looked like the ads that they had running in the paper at the time that referred to something called Tattletail Gray. Do you recall Tattletail Gray? Uh, that was a part of the ad. You remember Tattletail... Whatever happened to Tattletail Gray? Have you, have you had the feeling that commercials, if anything, are getting to be the great source of comedy of our life? Did you see the... Have you seen the one where the, where the chick shows up in the, in the kitchen there, this girl? And she says, Mother! And her mother says, Yes, Doris. She said, I can't wear this shirt. It's too clean. Why, the kids wouldn't want me to wear this. They'd know that you're using detergents. This shirt is too clean. I can't wear it. Her shirt is too clean. And the mother has to explain. She says, here, I'll show you. We're using the new all-purpose Zowie, which uh, contains no detergents, no phosphates, and it uh, does an unbelievable job. It, uh, in fact, it's composed almost exclusively of lye. It removes all the dirt. And she shows, you know, here's the before and after. I'd, li I'd like to meet one of these people that has the before and after, uh, all the ingredients right at her fingertips. Here, you see how your brother's shirts come before the laundry? Here, see? And now, here they are, after I've used all-purpose Zowie. And then she whips up the shirt, and the girl says, Oh, you mean all-purpose Zowie without detergents does that, without phosphates? Yes. Oh, the kids will never believe it at school. Uh, the kids don't believe nothing. That's the trouble today. Nobody believes anything. Have you noticed that? Well, anyway, I'm sitting in this. Uh, this is a terrible show. That's a sickening show. I, I shouldn't recommend guys jumping up in their graduation, you know, dropping their pants. But uh, I, I can understand it uh, when I remember my graduation. Now, I don't know what the, what Darren Holbrook's reason for it. In fact, he's incoherent. He's incoherent on his reason. All he says is it was the right thing to do. He didn't know why he did it. Well, I'm sitting in my graduation. The day came. We're all out. I remembered vividly, like uh, like all like all rituals. You can't forget them, you know. And it's nothing to do with nostalgia. Everybody has ritual in his life. I mean, if you graduated last week, you remember your graduation till the time you're 102. No way to get out of it. Big moment. So I'm sitting. And <laughs> they had us all assembled outside in the like the, the lobby of this tremendous auditorium. Well, now, it was, it was late in June. In fact, it was around June 20th, something like that. We had a late graduation that year. And, uh, and, it, and the Midwest was having, in the northern Indiana area, was having one of its real summers, friends. I mean, I want to tell you, a plague of locusts would have been a relief. I mean, we had mosquitoes that fed on mosquitoes in that. Uh, at hot, it was like 115 degrees. The, the humidity was well up around, oh, three, four hundred. You, you have ever heard of superheated steam? Well, that's what was going on. Fantastic heat. 
And the graduation was on a Saturday night at 8 p.m. in the auditorium. Well, now, it was air-conditioned, you see, theoretically. Well, what happened that afternoon, apparently, there was a basketball rehearsal or something going on there, because, yeah, we had a pro basketball team in our town that never played real games. They rehearsed. They didn't actually train. They rehearsed losing their games. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, they had had some kind of a big thing there that afternoon, and the air conditioning system went kaput. It was not working. The temperature at 7.30 that night stood at roughly 97 degrees. Well, now, this class was composed, 650 kids, remember. I would say a good three-quarters of them had fathers who worked in places like uh, the insecticide division of Standard Oil. Uh, they, yeah, we have, I knew a kid whose father did nothing all day long but kill cockroaches. <laughs> he did. He worked in the lab at the insecticide division of Standard Oil. <laughs> and he would bring, bring home this experimental, always this experimental uh, cockroach killer, you know, the kind of stuff that burnt the curtains right off the wall, that kind of stuff. But that, nevertheless, you had this crowd of, of, of guys moved into this auditorium, fathers all of whom, you know, were uncomfortable because they were wearing their uh, Sunday-type clothes, mothers, aunts, cousins, kid brothers. In all, I would say there was probably 4,000 people in that auditorium. Let's figure it out, 650 kids. Let's say each kid on an average has one mother and one father. So right there, you got, <laughs> you got 1,200 people in addition to the 600 kids. Now, most of the kids had a brother... Or a sister. So you wind up with about fourth. The place was packed. And we're waiting outside in the ante room. Well, it was a, like the big auditorium lobby. 600 kids all walking around wearing their, wearing their gowns, caps, and stuff. And everybody had a funny look on their face. And the minute people put on ritualistic costuming, they change they really do change. The minute somebody puts a thing on his head that has a big tassel that hangs down, have you noticed the, that almost all lodges go for jazzy costumes with a great big fez, with a silver moon on it, with a sword, with a gold handle, with the seven sacred teeth of Allah uh, that <laughs> are worn on the, on, the, uh, on the cummerbund, which is in the red, white, and blue, uh, celebrating the release of the Filipinos from the, uh, you know, so ritualistic Dress has a great impact on man's personality. So the minute I put on my cap and gown, somehow I could have very easily made statements to the press. Had my kid brother asked me the meaning of life, I would have asked him to sit on my knee, and for 20 minutes I would have explained to him the ramifications of the nothingness of the innermost being of man's object now. Sounds good, right? Well, that's what gowns and caps and badges and tassels and cummerbunds, all this stuff does it to you. You don't wear that stuff when you're working around the, you know, the frozen food department of the A&P. You don't go walking around with a gold cummerbund with the teeth of Allah on it or something like that. No. So here I am now wearing my magnificent pearl gray cap and gown. I had this great big square hat on the top of the head. And they had a thing somehow. I don't recall exactly this detail that you were to wear the tassel on one side, 
before you graduated and on the other side after you got your diploma. Do you remember that little bit? Well, I don't recall which side it was. I just remembered that, you know, you were supposed to hang your tassel down on one side. Now, they gave the girls white tassels. All the girls wore white tassels. And we wore tassels of a sort of a stygian gray. And the male, of course, always being uh, understated in our society. We're, li- we're living... Uh, by the way, that's always... For years, they've been saying America's a matriarchy, right? Well, how come women's lived then? I mean, we should be striking. <laughs> I mean, it's a matriarchy. So, nevertheless, I'm sitting in this auditorium. They've moved us in, and the reverend is up there giving the benediction. We're all standing in long lines next to the seats. And I look up around me, and I see this vast crowd. All the people that had come to witness the graduation were up in the balcony. The, the victims, the actual sacrificial members of the congregation, were seated on the floor. And underneath me, see, I could see the foul line. The foul line went right under my seat, so you know where I was standing, the, where I was sitting. The, the, uh, the podium was over under the basket, so you can see how far I was. About, I was pretty far, you know, pretty close up there to the front there. And they had us all in these great big blocks. And so, with that, the band began to play over in the corner. We had this band. They brought in a, a real commercial band. It wasn't, wasn't a high school band. Played Pomp and Circumstance. And we marched in, and it was a hush. And the Reverend gave his benediction. I remember it's just a sort of a gray, craggy man. And off in the corner of the auditorium, this quaver voice said, Amen! And with that, all of us moved to our right, we clumped in and sat down, and I am sitting next to Helen Weathers. Again, it was it was that, that damn problem of, of alphabetic. Everybody was in, in alphabet, see, and Helen Weathers was squatting off to my right, see. And Helen Weathers was a fantastic perspirer. Let's put it that way. She perspired. Well, I sat down in my gown, and for the first 30 seconds, everything was sort of calm. Now, these gowns were made out of wool. They were beautiful serge wool, a big square cap on the top. And I had underneath it my graduation suit with a tie, with a, with a shirt, the whole bit. We were, we were instructed to wear white shirts. And now, five minutes after the benediction is over, the temperature stands in the auditorium at roughly 212 degrees or precisely at the boiling point. Helen Weathers next to me. I have rarely seen creative sweating. Helen Weathers was sweating. You could see pools all around. Helen Weathers is sinking slowly down in her seat, and now the guy who was addressing the graduation is up there. You know, there's some big local politician who was going to address the the, uh, assembled graduates, and he kept saying the same thing over and over again. How many of you heard this in your graduation? As we of the older generation move off stage, we pass with failing hands the torch to you who are to come after to do all those things which we have left undone in this world of ours. You are the hope. You are the the cornerstone. You are all that the world is building on, the youth of America. Oh, my God, they're planning on me. Good God. And they're handing the torch to us. What torch? 
And I look up there and I see my old man, see. My old man was used to sitting in bleachers. As you know, he spent all of his growing days out of Comiskey Park in the White Sox, and now he's sitting in the bleachers again, see, and he's sitting up there. <laughs> and I could see him staring down, and my mother is fanning herself. And I could see my kid brothers getting very itchy up there. And the whole thing was kind of bathed in a haze of heat, and then it was over. 